Welcome everyone to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host Viz and it is my honor tonight to welcome a horror legend, Barbara Crampton, to us. Uh, Barbara, thank you so much for agreeing to be on our show. How are you doing tonight? Pretty good. Yeah, all things considering. You know, we're kind of all in this together. Yes, we are. So, yeah, hang it in there. Yes, we are. And I'm glad you're doing well. Again, thank you so much for being here with us. And I want to get started right away. I want to talk about this new movie that you have coming out Mm -hmm. at the end of the month. Last week, I played the trailer for our audience. And it's, it's a Lovecraftian adaptation called Sacrifice. What can you tell us about it? Well, uh, you know, it's kind of got a Wicker Man feel to it. There's an island, and there's a cult that lives on the island, and uh, the two, the the couple, the two people that come to our island on a boat, the husband was born there, and he hasn't been back to the island since he left with his mother many years ago when something horrible happened that he doesn't remember. So when he comes back, we get to find out what happened, why he's come back, and who has to be sacrificed? Ah, ah. Yeah. I, I, I know. Do you do you play the mother of the of the man or? No, I don't play the mother. I okay. play. You know, it's it's Norwegian, and mm-hmm. so uh, they call me a lensman, which is another word for sheriff. So I'm, you know, I'm like the constable. I'm like the police officer of the island, and and more. Actually, I have some secrets of my own. Well, that's awesome. How does it, uh, was it shot on location or was mm-hmm. it shot here in the U.S.? It was shot in Norway. Wow. And I'd never been there before. It was absolutely gorgeous with the fjords and the water and the mountains and everything. It was just amazing. Um, yeah, I was there two summers ago for about uh, a month, a month and a half. And uh, from what I read, it's going to theaters and video on demand. Yeah, and I think it's actually not the end of this month, but it's February 9th. And I don't know what theaters it's going to be playing in. I feel like with the opening and closing of the schools and restaurants and things like that, it sort of changes um, depending on what's happening. So I think we'll see. Yeah. Um, what they're saying you know, officially is limited theater. Limited theater. So, yeah. Yeah. so we just depending on, see. yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So let's go now uh, further back. You've been in the horror industry now for over, going on well over 35 years. What do you think about the evolution of horror from the mid to early 80s to doing sacrifice? I mean, well, you have seen so question, many changes. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a huge question. I mean, there's been some changes in regards to the way we put movies together now, the stories that we tell, uh, how easy it is for people to make movies at this point in time. Um, so that that's a big, big question. Um, I would say in terms of content, I really feel like the horror audience has gotten a lot more sophisticated in the last number of years. And whereas uh, in the 80s, when I feel like that was sort of the heyday of, of horror movies, you know, the golden age in a way, um, we told a lot of stories with a lot of horror tropes. And those tropes became embedded in our uh, mental mm-hmm. capacity for looking at stories and how to tell stories. So, you know, we had tropes like, you know, we had jump scares. We had the killer in the woods. We had a killer in a cabin. We had a vengeful spirit. We have, you know, all these different kinds of, uh, of tropes to tell a story, a mass murderer. Um, I think the stories have gotten more sophisticated. We still have those tropes, but we don't rely on them as much to tell our stories. So I think in that way, horror has changed and gotten more sophisticated. When you look at what Jordan Peele did with Get Out and, mm-hmm. you know, horror has always tried to 
identify with what's going on uh, in our culture and politically and things like that. But it's it's really deepened, I'd say, in the last number of years. Also, I feel like today it's easier to make a movie, and mm-hmm. anybody can do it. You figure out the software, and mm-hmm. you know you can edit at home. Um, so I see a lot more people jumping out of their lane than what we did in the 80s. You know, for instance, I was just an actress in the 80s, not just an actress, but an actress. And uh, I worked with Stuart Gordon a lot, who was a director. But today I feel like, and, and you showed a clip of your next there, when I worked on your next, I saw that the people I was working with on that movie were directing, they were producing, they were acting, they were writing, they were editing, they were doing everything. And I, when I came back after taking a break for a number of years with your next, I was really mesmerized by all these people that I was working with because they were doing it all and they are doing it all. And so I feel like that's opened things up a lot for a lot of people and given people more opportunities in a way. That's true. That's absolutely true. So what was your reaction when you first got the script to Reanimator? Did you know that? Did you have a feeling this was it was going to become such a cult classic? You know, I get asked that all the time, and I wish I had a better story for you. But really, it was a job, and I was an actress, and I didn't feel like I want to be in a horror movie. And, oh, isn't this a cool script? I... I I was aware of the horror genre, as I'm aware of all the genres, but I, you know, had been working in soap operas and did a little bit of TV and things like that, and it didn't occur to me that I was going to become um, part of a cult classic that was going to last for 35 years or more. I, I didn't think that. I did think that the script was funny. I thought that my character was a good character. Mm-hmm. And I loved the character of Herbert West, and I really liked the dynamic of the relationship I had with Bruce Abbott as my boyfriend. And when I auditioned for that uh, for that part of Megan Halsey, those guys had already had their roles; mm-hmm. they had won the roles. My part had already been cast by some with someone else. Oh. And then her mother read the script and said, "Oh no, no, you're not doing this movie." So they had to have another casting session. So I was brought in to read with those guys. And I remember reading with them and thinking, wow, these actors are so good. I hope they get the parts because I didn't know they already had the parts. Um, and, you know, I was there for maybe three hours. I kept being asked to go back into the lobby and prepare another scene and come back in. And then Stuart Gordon came from the theater. So he was really liked to work with us a lot. And he gave us some adjustments and direction and then he'd say okay go out and work on that and then come back in so i would i was really like working the scenes with the guys in the lobby and then would go back in and do the scenes with them again and here i am that's a great story uh would you say that reanimator was the big game changer in your career i think so but it only over time because when when that movie came out People like Roger Ebert and Pauline Kael and really very well-regarded journalists and reviewers thought very highly of the movie, but it it didn't really change my life until over time Mm -hmm. I became embedded with the horror genre and Reanimator became a cult classic and more and more people discovered it and realized that it really was the seminal film of Stuart Gordon. So I feel like over time it has affected my career and I didn't I didn't notice it in the moment. It wasn't like a blockbuster hit. Everybody liked the movie. Mm-hmm. But I feel like, you know, uh, it's changed now, but um, liking horror movies in the 80s was like a dirty little secret, you know, and it's really not like that anymore. Um, so it, it took a while for the effect of being part of that movie, um, you know, to catch up with me, I think. Yeah, and, this, and the great Stuart Gordon, who just passed away in this last year, uh, you know, he was a legend. Uh, now, your next, in our opinion, is one of like the most underrated horror movies of all time. 
and I believe it birthed. It it's bur underrated. Yes. Is it underrated? Yeah. yeah. It birthed uh, such films as The Strangers and The Purge, in my opinion. What attracted you to taking on that role? Well, um, let's see. Again, um, I do think The Strangers, though, I think The Strangers and Your Next were filmed around the same time. So I don't don't know if this if we want to say that The Strangers took from us. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. I don't know. But our movie, when we made Your Next, it got put on a shelf for, this is a side story, but I'll, I'll tell you about, Absolutely. you know, uh, working it before. But, um, but we shot the film and then uh, it was uh, it was picked up by Lionsgate and then Lionsgate acquired Summit Entertainment. So after the movie premiered at the Toronto Film Festival, it took them another two years to put the movie out. Um, so in that time, I think The Strangers was released before us and then our movie came out. So people, people do um, talk about The Strangers and Your Next sort of in the same conversations, but it was, I don't think anybody took from either of those. Um, I would say there's other movies that potentially, like maybe The Purge, I don't know, took from that. I, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's little kernels of ideas in every movie that you go, oh, that was really cool in that movie. Let's expand on that. So maybe. But anyway, to get back to your, to your question, um, I had sort of retired from the business in my late 30s, uh, got married, had some children, and moved from Los Angeles to San Francisco. And my kids were really little at the time. And my agent, who I hadn't spoken to in, I'd say, six years, called me and said, I have an offer for you for this movie called You're Next. And it's with some independent producers and um, a young up-and-coming director. And, you know, would you like to read it? And uh, I said, you have an offer. And they said, and my agent said, yeah. My guys in set said, yeah. And I said, well, don't they want to meet me or talk to me or whatever i mean how old are my kids and he said no they're just offering you the film and i thought that was really odd because i hadn't been working in so many years it just really felt like it came out of the blue um apparently stuart gordon had gone down to texas to fantastic fest and was there with jeffrey combs and they did a screening of reanimator and simon barrett was in the audience and he, uh, he was the writer of Your Next, and he talked to Stuart, and he said, you know, I was thinking about Barbara Crampton for a role in this movie that I'm doing, uh, you know, what's she up to? And Stuart said, she's retired, and she's married, and she's not working anymore. And he said, oh, okay, but thank God Simon called my agent, and they asked me anyway, mm -hmm. because they could have asked anybody. Exactly. They could have asked Felissa Rose, they could have asked... Caroline Williams, they could have asked anybody. Um, and they asked me and I read the script and I thought it was really well written and really fun. And I, I thought, well, this will be great because motherhood is really hard and acting is really fun. So um, this would be a fun little um, diversion for me. So 10 days later, I was on a plane to Missouri and I'm telling you, working with those really dynamic, very smart, really fun people like Joe Swanberg and Amy Simons and Ty West and Adam Wingard and Keith Calder, who was the producer, and Jessica Wu. They're doing huge movies now. I think I was, I was part of a movie that was really at a point in, in all of those people's careers before they really, really took off. Yeah. And I feel so grateful to have been asked to be a part of that movie. And I thought the movie was fantastic. So right. I, I think it was just lucky. I think I just got lucky that they asked me to do it. So then I realized how fun it was really and how much more I wanted to do in the acting field and, and come back into the industry. So that was, the beginning of my second round of my career. Yeah, so you had no plans of coming back into the field and the movie Not brought really. you back and reinvigorated mm -hmm. your passion for the craft and uh, brought you out of retirement as well. It really did, and and let me tell you, Viz, it happened at a time, you know, as I say, in, in my late 30s when for a lot of women, I just felt like I wasn't getting parts anyway. 
So, uh, you know, when I was in my early 20s, I had a lot of roles and I would have a lot of auditions for things. And then in my late 30s, I just wasn't getting a lot of stuff. So when my husband said, I'm transferred with my job and I'd like to move to San Francisco, it'd be great for my career. I didn't hesitate. I said, oh, yeah, sure. We'll just go there. You know, really never thinking I, I was going to come back to the business at all. And I thought, well, I had a soap career. I, I did Reanimator. I did From Beyond. I did a few good movies. So, you know, maybe that's enough and that's it. And this has all been uh, a grand surprise for me for the last 10 years being back and just, you know, it's still very keep active. working. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I guess I, maybe I passed a certain age group or certain point in my career where, you know, there wasn't as many roles for women in their late thirties. And now I'm playing, you know, the evil stepmother and, you know, the compromised older woman and the scientist. And cult although leader. I played a scientist and probably on the cult leader, yeah. thank you, the cult leader. So I don't know. I don't know what's happening. I'm just uh, having a really good time. That's awesome. Uh, recently, we had uh, a guest, Ronan Rubenstein. Uh, he played in a movie recently where he was being stalked for from an unknown group for an unknown reason. Uh, uh, from an actor's point what of view, what movie was that? Uh, the movie is called Smiley Face Killers. Okay, okay, it just came out that. early November, I believe. Uh, on a terrifying meter, just that concept of uh, being in a movie where you're being stalked by an unknown oh. group of people for no obvious motive. How scary is that? That's very scary, and I actually was thinking about this last night. There's there's a show on Sunday nights, I think it's on MSNBC, where they profile killers and then they, I don't know the name of the show, but then they they interview uh, people in connection with the death, you know, be it the police officers or the investigators and the family. And, and the other night I was, I mean, this is real life, but I, I was watching I was watching the show on Sunday night and it was about this killer who was stalking people in the woods. You know, there's a killer in the woods. There are lots of killers in the woods. It's not just in a movie. And um, terrible stories about this older couple that were really seasoned hikers and they were killed by this man and then this other woman who was... Um, befriended him and they were going on a hike together and then he turned on her after three days yeah. and he and he and he killed her and and I go on hikes very often so today in fact I came home and I told my husband I went on this hike up this mountain called Ring Mountain which is outside San Francisco and I love love this hike it's about a mile and a half all the way up to the top and on the weekends there's plenty of people there but during the week like today, I saw three people, mm. and it made me think I really shouldn't, as a woman, I really shouldn't be hiking alone, you know? Uh, I don't know, really kind of freaked me out. So to answer your question, yeah, thinking about, because there's been plenty of times where there's been an unknown entity or something horrible or a vengeful spirit or something like that not that i've been part of movies where you know I, i've definitely been the victim in a, in a in a few movies but you have to try to identify with those feelings as much as you can and play them realistically um so now when i think if i ever have another one of those parts i can think about climbing up rain mountain and the and the feeling that i got and, and you know and it, and you use things from your from your own environment so even just sitting there watching the television and watching the profiles of what was going on with these people and how they died so horribly and tragically it it, it affects me definitely affects me and oh, yeah. i can recall those feelings and that Absolutely. fear yeah. Absolutely. Uh, now, you have been in many uh, sub-genres in the main horror genre, slasher flicks. Reanimator is its own genre. <laughs> Let's leave it at that. Um, is is there... it comedy? Is it horror? I don't know. Yeah, Sometimes, you know, are I, they zombies? Are they not zombies? Right. Is it a zombie flick? I get asked that a lot. Yeah. And I, my answer to that would be yes, mm -hmm. it is. Um 
but it's not considered a comedy horror Mm-mm. in the traditional sense, but it has comedic elements. And oh, yeah. um, is it scary? I don't know if it's really scary. It's, I don't know. Well, that um, leads me to my... That's hard for me to, to say. That, that leads me to my next question. Uh, we know it's different when you're acting in a movie, filming scenes and so on. Watching the finished product, what subgenre in the horror realm actually scares you as a person you know mm-hmm. your own yeah. like for me zombies don't scare me uh the paranormal right. Right. scares me because yeah. i believe I in it so i agree i agree with you there i think anything that has um a possession mm-hmm. you know like the exorcist really scared me that was the first horror movie i ever saw in my entire life wow i was 13 or 15 years old and i and uh, I saw it on a Saturday with my girlfriends, and we all walked to the theater. And then I think we were seeing a four o'clock show or something. But by the time the movie was over, it was going to be dark. And I lived at the farthest away. And I remember I had to leave the theater. I didn't finish watching the movie because I thought I'm not going to be able to walk home. You're not alone. By myself, even for a short amount of time. So it took me another few years before I saw the the entirety of of, uh, yeah. of the exorcist but even you know movies like the entity i mean i i've seen that movie once i don't think i can watch it again <laughs> movies about possession and and spirits those i think those are the, those are the things that are so scary because everybody can relate to that because it really is something out of your control like you think if a zombie's chasing you well there really aren't zombies so you probably don't have to be too afraid but something with the paranormal or something that is a spirit or, you know, creep, the creep factor, that feels like it could be real. We've all been creeped out. Uh-huh. We've all Absolutely. heard something or sensed something. And, you know, I think everybody can relate to that. And I think that's that subgenre of horror is, is the one that is probably the hardest to do in a way um, to make it really believable, but probably one of the more scary ones. Are there any films that you starred in to when you saw the finished product actually did kind of freak you out and scare you a little bit? Or having been in it, you know, was like, I know what happened. It's no, it's did not have the same effect on you. I I think after you make a movie, you really look at it from a technical point of view and I, I'm watching to see if the things are landing, the movies that I'm in. Mm-hmm. If that if that moment in that scene is really doing what it's supposed to do in that moment. I do think that I'm much more scared. And I know it's coming. I know it's coming. I know it's going to happen. But I think that movies that I'm not in scare me. Mm-hmm. So I'm a very good audience. I get really scared during movies and I enjoy that. Oh, yeah. Um, what was the movie I, the scariest movie I've seen recently was, and I want to get this right. Um, it was terrified. It was a, a Spanish language film. I think I've seen that. I, yeah. I like yeah. to watch a lot of independent horror films. Mm-hmm. I think you find some really precious gems that are not really marketed and there are some great storytelling in them. Yeah. Well, let me say, I mean, there's just so much product out there, too. Mm-hmm. And and it is about the marketing, too. You know, I think the budget for the marketing for your next was $20 million or something. So if you want people to know that your film is out there, you have to spend money to get it out there. Um, so, you know, thing like Blumhouse has a very big infrastructure. And when a new Blumhouse movie comes out, you know it, you mm-hmm. know, and they've built up their reputation and they have a very good reputation over the past number of years. But, you know, for some of the smaller companies like Dark Sky or like, um, you know, uh, what are some other really small companies? Um, oh, there's so many production companies out there nowadays. You know, but but the, the dis- even the distribution arm of some of, you know, mm-hmm. the dis- these smaller distributors that, that you know, even Epic Pictures is is releasing Sacrifice. I mean, they're a very small company, so right now they rely on the horror fan to find those movies. They rely on me as an actor in the film to tell my fans and to tell people on my social media, "Hey, 
watch this movie. It's pretty darn good, you know? Um, and, and some of those things will naturally tumbleweed into more and more people knowing about it, but it, it, it does take word of mouth sometimes. You know, I've had, you know? I, I had this conversation with my audience like last week, and I really believe that studios and distribution companies uh, don't know where to go right now with the current pandemic and how movies are being released. Uh, you know, some are going to the movies, mostly are going to video on demand, and they don't know how to market them. Uh, before it was simple, a movie would come out to the theater, you'd spend money on commercials and so on for the theatrical release, and then it would get released to DVD, Blu-ray, and video on demand. Yeah. With mm. now everything, you know, being split, coming out on video on demand, the same day it might come out in some movies, I think a lot of great movies, and there was a great one that came out recently called The Dark and the Wicked. Yeah, uh, I saw that. Xander yeah, Berkeley really is in it. Michael yeah. Abbott Jr. Really oh. scary. Really scary. Absolutely yeah. no marketing whatsoever. Well, I think that is a case of, again, um, word of mouth, because I think um, it's very well regarded. It came out to really good reviews. And I think that's a movie over time that is going to find its audience and mm -hmm. is going to find its devoted fans. Um yeah, it's like it's like movies. Movies are like are like people. You know, they they have a life to them, and they mature. And um, I do think that what you're saying is correct. But I also think that uh, over time, the movies that are really good will stand the test of time, and people will revisit them, and then they will become hopefully, you know, yeah. have have a cool have a cult following. I know that when we did Chopping Mall, for instance, mm -hmm. which is, you know, a silly kind of, you know, fun. I love the movie, but it's a silly horror comedy. It came out and it was all right. You know, people liked it, but it it's really developed a fan following over many, many, many years. Yeah. And people are still discovering that movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's true. That's absolutely true. I got to say, Barbara, it is absolutely refreshing to talk to someone uh, who's a part of the horror genre, but I can totally tell you are a fan. I am horror. a fan, yeah. And, and, and it came over time again. I didn't, I wasn't like a lot of, you know, people that I meet at conventions. I see I see people with their kids, you know, and, and the kids are 11 years old and they're watched, you know, all the Friday the 13th mm -hmm. movies already. Or the parents say, I've, I've been a fan since I was a kid and I've shown my my kids all this movie. I, I wasn't a fan of. I think I was a fan of the genre, but I didn't really know it. I didn't. It wasn't in my consciousness. I grew up watching Dark Shadows, Night Gallery, The Outer Limits, all of that kind of stuff, The Twilight Zone, and I loved it. But I didn't. I just liked storytelling. I didn't think, oh, this is the genre that I love the most. And it wasn't until I started working in it that I realized the value that we have in in telling in telling these horror stories mm -hmm. and how deep they go because they really go deep. I mean, horror movies are about empathy and about the deepness of one's soul and and the fear and the love and the longing and the loss that they have. And there's just, you know, there's no end to the stories that we can tell in the horror genre. So I am a big fan and I I've just become a fan of really over time. Well, that's very refreshing. Now, let's go. Uh, you got your start in soaps. Is that correct? Yeah, I think my first job was on Days of Our Lives. And, uh, yeah. you've, you've appeared in numerous soaps. Now, how hard is it for someone who gets in the door of soap operas to make the transition into primetime television or film? At that time, and maybe even now, if you stay in it for too long, <clears throat> I mean, you get pigeonholed in any, any any genre. So when you're a soap actor, people think, oh, that's what you do. You do soaps. But I was on Young and the Rest. I was on, um, excuse me, Days of Our Lives for a year. Then I did um, a movie with Brian De Palma, and then I did Reanimator, and then I did Chopping Mall, and, and uh, then I did From Beyond. 
Then I went to The Young and the Restless for six years. Yes. And that was a very long period of my career. And I remember when I was about 27 years old being on that show, I was only supposed to be uh, a 13-week character. And they just kept asking me to stay longer and longer. So after two or three years, I remember they offered me another contract. And I thought at the time, you know, if I continue to do this work on The Young and the Restless, it may hurt my movie career. It may hurt my primetime TV mm -hmm. career, which I had very little, but I had done some things. And the other side of the coin was that it was a job and they were going to pay me to do what I loved. And I'm a practical person, so I said yes, and I remained on that show for six years. And knowing full well that it, that it might hurt me for the future, but I don't know, it didn't seem to, and it, it's clearly it hasn't now, so I guess that was the right decision at the time. Um, but I, I really enjoyed doing that show and doing all the soap roles I did. It's, you know, you're working, you're like, you're like a family, and uh, Being that get... it's a daily show, how different is it from shooting a once a week show or a movie? I mm -hmm. mean, you're there every day and it's... Yes and no, because it depends on your storyline. So for instance, I might go through a couple of weeks where I might work five days a week, but rarely. Usually if you're a, a character on a soap or an actor on a soap, you'll work two to three days a week. And um, you have a lot of time off, so that's great. You have a lot of time off to learn your lines because there's a lot of lines, so you need that time. Um, yeah, it 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 was it was great because you get to know that character so well, and you're also working so fast, you don't have time to think about it. So I feel like it was a workout for me as an actor because I can learn lines very quickly, and I'll try things and take you know, make choices and I'll just throw some stuff out there because of my training on a soap, you don't have time to think about that. Mm -hmm. Here's your dialogue. Here's where you're going to move. You come, you show up every morning. If, if you, your watchers and listeners want to, want to know a little bit about this, but you come in in the morning and you have your dialogue and the director tells you where you're going to move mm -hmm. for during each line, because there's three cameras. It's like, it's like a, it's like a dollhouse. So yeah. there's three walls and then there's three cameras on the fourth wall and they have to know when they're going to turn, they're editing as they go. So they have to know when they're going to turn the light on and you know, for, for which moment. So you have to, you have to move on the, on the word, not even on the line, on the word that they want you to move on. So it's wow. very exacting. And, um, I would run the lines with, my fellow actors in the makeup room and then we'd go out and do one camera rehearsal and then you just shoot it and that's it and maybe you do a little pickup maybe you'd have a chance to do it again if it was a difficult scene but that's it i mean you're just banging it out it's 80 pages a day wow wow so you better be prepared damn right sounds like you better be prepared uh now how do you feel uh the woman's role in let's take horror movies has changed over the decades has it changed in a positive direction you know come on, the 80s you know friday the 13th halloween the camper you know counselor slasher you know mm -hmm. genre there would always be the last person standing and it would more than always be a woman hero the mm -hmm. one you never thought would be the survivor as yeah, opposed yeah. as opposed to today so how do you feel in your opinion how has the woman's role changed in acting in regards to mm -hmm. horror movies? Well, the nice thing about the early days of horror is that we really were afforded a lot of really great roles because we had the final girl. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't have the final girl in a comedy. Mm -hmm. We didn't have the final girl in a drama. Um, a lot of stories in the early days were written by men and, you know, they, they, you know, men wrote what they wanted to see. And uh, for some reason in the horror genre, it's, you know, the woman looks more like she is vulnerable yeah. and needs either needs to be saved or will, you know, seek vengeance yeah. or 
be able to, you know, uh, um, um, fight against something horrible and, and come out on the other side. Um, so you want to see that vulnerability versus the, the strength at the end and what better way to do that with a female horror star. So, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis and, um, you know, uh, some of the other early ladies in horror, even in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you just, you know, you got to see a woman screaming for her life or running for her life, but also remaining uh, alive. And yeah. that's satisfying for a viewer. Um, I feel like, so I, I want to applaud our genre for giving great roles to horror women, you know, to women. But now I do see that roles for women have deepened in another way, that we're not just, you know, the the bubble-headed Cohen screaming for her life and having, you know, other people having to save her. Although I do feel with Stuart Gordon, he gave me very strong roles, but a, a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of it has just given away to you know better storytelling and, I feel, and I layers. Feel like women are much more empowered in today's horror movies. We're, maybe we're empowered, but I feel like you know we were somewhat empowered, even though you know they they have the t term that people coin the scream queen, you know, and it sort of belies what you know. It, it, to me, it doesn't. It doesn't really, it's not really um, referencing the capabilities that women had to do even in the early 80s. I, so I want to say again, I really think that the horror genre has given women a lot of good roles from the very beginning to now. But there is something, and I think you're, you're touching on that, that, um, that women seem more capable in a way now than they did maybe in the 80s you know but i think that has to do with the storytelling yeah. and the way that that screenplays are written now and the sophistication of the audience and mm -hmm. what they want to see that is totally true speaking of screen queens you know you're like in the top 10 of imdb's list of all-time screen queens right I didn't know that, but I see my name floated around on different lists here and there. I don't know if it's a top five or top ten, but you're in the top. Okay. Of the, you're near the top uh, of the list. I'm in, the, I'm in there somewhere. <laughs> what was it like receiving the Horror Channel Lifetime Achievement Award at Grimfest in 2018? Yeah, it was very. It was great. I, I've gotten a few awards over the years at the mm -hmm. CGS Film Festival and and at Grimfest and and at Morbido in Mexico. Um, I, you know, since coming back into the genre with your next, I feel like people have really embraced me and giving, given me more opportunities as an actor. Now I'm producing a little bit as well, but, um, I feel really grateful that, that people are, um, giving me opportunities to act and, and giving me the opportunity in a way to try and become an ambassador for our yeah. genre and, to speak for women and, um, you know, to speak on behalf of other people in our genre and, and to promote our genre and to celebrate it. And I feel like since I came back, um, I've, you know, I've discovered that there's film festivals all over the world and I've been invited to go to some of them. And that's been very gratifying for me to go to a lot of these film festivals and meet fans from all over the world and, and meet filmmakers from all over the world as well. Um, and see where different different uh, tastes lie, you know, depending mm -hmm. on the culture. Um, that's been really exciting and interesting. So I just feel just really I, I, I'm in the right place. And I this is, you know, I've rededicated myself to the horror genre and I just feel grateful to be here. Uh, as recent, do you go to, well, before the coronavirus, would go to a lot of these horror conventions? And how do you enjoy meeting fans face-to-face? Yeah, face? I go to some conventions. I wasn't going, I don't go to as many as a lot of people do, only because I I'm still was staying home to kind of hang out with my family a lot mm -hmm. and, and, and working. But um, my daughter is graduating high school this year. And so I'll be an empty. Thank you. I have a son in college, his first year of college. 
and uh, my husband and I will be empty nesters and then I'll feel like I can travel a little bit more. My husband also works really hard and really long hours so I just didn't want to leave them on the weekends very much, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I'm not I too know. far behind you. I've got a freshman in oh, yeah. college. I've got a junior, uh -huh. a junior and a freshman in high school. So. Oh yeah, there you go. There you yeah. go. The th three teenagers. Oh my god. Yeah. 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 Teens. Oh my. <laughs> boy, are they boys or girls? My oldest is a girl, and the other two are boys. Oh, great. That's yeah. nice. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I'm sorry we got off track there for no, a second. No, just about going to conventions. So I do go to conventions. Uh, I probably go to two or three a year maybe and uh, film festivals because that's kind of, that's another way films have changed over the years. When you make these independent movies, you don't often have uh, a distribution deal in place. So you have to try to sell the movie. So how do you do that? Yeah. You go to all these different film festivals, submit to film festivals, hopefully get into a really good one. And then people from different distribution companies will see it or they will see the, um, the reviews come out and then they'll ask to watch the movie and hopefully buy the film. So it's really important if you're, if you're working in independent uh, horror movies today, to try and travel to some of these film festivals to try and do your own marketing and at the you end know, of the, the day film. those film festivals it really is a competition right to win the awards and hopefully yeah. get your piece picked mm -hmm. up now sure. when when did, in your life did you realize that you wanted to be an actress well that came when i was probably about 11 or so mm -hmm. um i used to come home on the East Coast and watched the Million Dollar Movie that came on at four o'clock every day. And I was watching movies with Miriam Hopkins and um, Betty Davis and Danny Kaye. Those were the people that I really looked up to, that I loved. Miriam Hopkins was my favorite actress at the time that I was really little. Um, at that time, really funny enough, I was also coming home to watch Dark Shadows. And that was one of my favorite shows mm -hmm. so maybe that was the sign of something to come i don't know but uh i wanted to be an actress from very early on so when i was in high school i did little plays in high school and then i graduated from high school and went to a school very close to my home and studied theater and i thought well maybe i'll do theater maybe I'll get into theater I wasn't really sure how I was gonna make my my acting career happen or what what that actually meant but right after uh, well during college I actually lived in New York City a few different summers and and did some plays in New York mm -hmm. and and then realized that if you're if you're working in the theater you're not getting paid as much money oh, yeah. as if you're working in films at, at the time. And actually at the time, 35 years ago, when I started acting in movies, I was paid a lot more money then, you know, uh, for these lower independent, independent movies, because it wasn't, it wasn't as much product. There wasn't as many people wanting to do them. There wasn't as many actors. So, you know, the margins for, for things like salaries has really shrunk a bit, but, um, uh, I, I really thought to move to Los Angeles because I wanted to work in movies because I thought if I want to be an actor, I, I have to feed myself and I have to make money. So mm -hmm. I thought I, I better get into movies and television. <laughs> now, speaking of movies and television, do you have a preference, uh, whether it's TV over film? Do you enjoy one more than the other? Mm -hmm. No, not necessarily. Um, I, I mean, I love movies so much, and I love the whole, now that I'm doing some producing, I love the development process of working on a script and kind of bringing a, a director that would match the material. But, you know, there is something nice about the television and the infrastructure being there, and you just kind of show up, and it's already there, and yeah. you just come in, and it's it seems easier in a way you're you're, you know, with a, with a movie, you're reinventing the wheel every single time. But, um, recently I, I was able and fortunate enough to do an episode of channel zero 
and also of Creep Show with your friend Greg Nicotero. Um, so that was really nice for me to come into a couple different shows that everything was just set up, you know, that they had the same DP for all the episodes, the same people doing hair and makeup. And there was a shorthand between the producers and the director and, um, everybody who worked on the crew. So it was just, it was easy for me to come in and just do my acting job on both of those shows. I really loved that. Um, I didn't have to think about everything else, you know, in the creative process. Just I just had to think about my little part. So I really, really loved doing that. But, you know, I just want to do more things and I would love to work in more television and I, I would love to continue to do movies. I can't say I love one more than the other. I just, I just really like it all. I just really like storytelling. Uh, that's, that sounds totally reasonable. Now, back in the eighties, even the nineties, uh, you know, special effect makeup people were very prominent. Uh, mm -hmm. Now we know a lot of the stuff is done by CGI. Was there anybody that you worked with, uh, like a Tom Savini, for example, that yeah, you, really, yeah. you really like, uh, I don't know what, what the right word is, gained a new respect for their craft after seeing them in action. Yeah. Well, when I, when I did the original Castle Freak, mm -hmm. um, and we worked on that, um, and I'm going to have to look up his name because now uh, we're talking and I'm looking it up on my phone, but, um, let me just tell you who this is because he died a couple of years ago. You, all your listeners are saying, yeah, I know who she's talking about. <laughs> um, John Vulich okay. did the makeup for the, for, uh, the freak. The freak. Yeah. And that was all practical makeup. Mm -hmm. Really. I haven't worked with that much CGI stuff, you know, yeah. little bits and pieces, even in new movies that I've done. But back then we had nothing none of that capability when jonathan fuller would get in the chair every morning for the original castle Freak, it was five or six hours to apply his makeup wow. and it what there was no real appliances or anything it was it was really crafted every single day and it was beautiful makeup i and when i saw that i mean I was mesmerized by that makeup and also mesmerized by his performance in that film. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it was probably on that film that I gained a, a very high respect, you know, for, for, for what was going on. For yeah. the special effects people. Uh, yeah. Now, you said you took a break in your late 30s, stepped away from acting. Uh, because you said the roles were not there. Did you get any kind of pushback? for because you didn't give up you just stepped away but did, did anybody ever accuse you of giving up on the industry to get any kind of pushback at all no i don't think so no i don't i don't recall that i would have or or did um i think a lot of people want i mean it's a, it is it is a field that you can do for a long time, I mean, a lot of a lot of jobs and careers. When people reach sixty-five or now seventy, that's it. You know, mm -hmm. um, you can't really do it anymore. But as far as being an actor, um, I think you can do that. You know, I want to be the Betty White of horror. <laughs> I, I, I want to stick around as long as I can. So um, I'm in it for the long haul. I want to be the grandma. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think most of the time when you don't see people anymore, and I look people up all the time on IMDb when I watch movies, like, oh, whatever happened to that person yeah, or that I'll person? I do that too. Right? Yeah. yeah and I yeah. look them up. I, that's one of my favorite apps on my phone is my IMDb. Mm -hmm. So um, so I look people up and I think, oh, they haven't worked in a few years. And I always think it's because people hadn't called them. They're not calling them. And it makes me sad, kind of, mm -hmm. because... You know, uh, and who are those people that continue on and and stay on? I I really only left the business because people weren't calling me. So that you know, what could I do? Maybe 
if I, you know, if I had stayed in LA when my kids were really little, maybe I would have gotten that audition that would have changed my life, you know, again, at that point in my career. But I, you know, I just, I just wasn't really making any money. So I thought, but you have such a successful career going. I mean, you're still going strong. Well, what it makes me realize um, this is that when you're an actor or when you work in the in in the movie business, it's really the long haul. Mm-hmm. Because I've had many points in my career when there's been lulls, smaller mm-hmm. lulls, maybe than six years when I was not active, but. I tell people this all the time because everybody gets frustrated and they think I haven't made a movie for a year or two. I haven't done anything. People who work in the business, you know, behind the scenes and in front of the camera. And and I think you have to just allow yourself to have those lulls and do whatever you need to do and make money some other way mm-hmm. and just, you know, keep at it. And just wait for those opportunities and the, the magic spark to happen again where somebody's going to um, ask you, you know, to, to be a part of their new project and just keep working with your friends and keep trying to be creative. And you never know when your break is going to come. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. We all know that the entertainment industry is just full of rejection. Mostly it's all rejection. And you're just waiting for that big break to happen, like you just said. Yeah, well, it's not, you know, it's it, it's it's not like it's not a regular job because mm-hmm. it's uh, it's it's a new job every every time. You know, exactly. you get a job for a month or two, and then unless you get on a TV show mm-hmm. as an actor, or you know, if you're working behind the scenes, if you get on a TV show, that's great for a lot of people. Like The Walking Dead did so well and was on for so many years, and you know. Who knew that was going to happen? And it really, it really enables people to, you know, uh, being practical again, put some money in the bank, and then feel like, oh, you know, I, 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 I have a foundation now, and I can go off and be creative and try to do other things. You know, I worked on a movie recently with Matthew Gray Googler mm-hmm. called uh, King Knight. Who's I don't know when that's going to come out, but it's done, and I've seen it, and it's really great. And Matthew Gray Googler was on Criminal Minds. As a young person for many years. And now he's trying to produce and he's trying to do his own projects. And, you know, he's made enough money where he feels like he could do that now. I I think he's the one person that's been on Criminal Minds from the the whole 15 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you're talking about Matt, right? Spencer. He Mm -hmm. played Spencer from season one all the way through to season 15. Yeah, so he grew up on the show. Exactly, exactly. Looking back on your career, is there any project that stands out uh, where, you know, you had the most fun in, you had the best fun making? Oh, probably from beyond, Mm -hmm. you know. I I don't want to diss the other projects because I have fun on every single movie I'm on. But I feel like from beyond came at a time when maybe there weren't a lot of really... Um, deep roles for women, although, you know, uh, Sigourney Weaver came out with Aliens around that time, Linda Hamilton did Terminator, but um, those were the anomalies because I I just feel like, you know, the leading roles for women weren't really there at that time, and that that particular role of Catherine McMichaels in From Beyond was such a multidimensional role for me, and I got to do so many different things in the space of one movie that, and I went to Italy and that was my first time in Italy and got to make a movie in Italy. So it was really fun and worked with all these wonderful Italian people. And, and that was exciting for me after doing reanimator and, you know, I was one of the leads in reanimator, but in from beyond, I really felt like that movie was very much about my character. And, you know, I was the driving force in the film and uh, I feel like, Stuart gave me a very big gift in giving me that role. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine all the wonderful people you have met and all the friends you have made in 30 plus years in well, filmmaking. Uh, which directors do you enjoy working with the most? Oh, you know, I, I mean, I have to say Stuart 
is, you know, he gave me my career. So mm -hmm. he's my number one. Um, I wouldn't be talking to you today if I wasn't in reanimator. Yeah. I wouldn't have been in from beyond if I wasn't in reanimator. So where would I be? You know, exactly. Um, would you, I mean, would you think here we are 35 years later, still talking about reanimator? I mean, when you were making the film, did you have no. any idea? No, it's crazy to think about it. I, you know, I, I, it was crazy making it. We had fun making it. We didn't know what we were doing. It just, I just think it was, there was a little bit of that magic that happened, you know? Right. It was like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They yeah. talk about that, you know? It's like the director and the actors at the time and the script and just how it came at the right time and just really found an audience, you know? Absolutely. Um, when it first came out, I, it, it was a surprise. There's a little bit of magic with certain movies. I feel like some movies are, it is an uphill battle for people to get people to watch something. And then they go, Oh, that was good. <laughs> um, but then there are some movies that have this little bit of pixie dust and they create something that just makes people really stand up and listen and watch and host did that this year did you see host oh yeah. that was on shutter yes yeah you that know that came at the right time those actors oh. were great the director was fantastic oh right yeah. I have the a, story I have, a, I, have a, I have a funny story about host okay i yeah. had seen it my brother who's the my executive producer was down from new york visiting me okay so i'm like listen i'm gonna make you watch this movie host uh, as we know, the movie's less than an hour long, okay? Yeah. But it's Some great. Some people call it a short. Yeah, yeah, I'm... but it was great. And as it was yeah. getting towards the end, uh, I'm a horrible person to watch a movie with. I can't keep my mouth shut. I go to him, you're gay, brace yourself. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And then that surprise ending happened, and I screamed like a five-year-old child. And he was sitting next to me. He thought I was doing it on purpose because I had already seen the movie. No, I knew the jump scare was coming, yeah. but it had so frightened you. me so much. I yelled so loudly, and we just both got a big laugh out of that. But it's a perfect example. Host is a perfect example. Uh, in they the didn't know what they didn't know they were making that no. that what it was going to be. No. They had a script. They were like, "What should we make during a pandemic?" I actually got to know those guys a little bit. Uh, one of the producers um, and and the director, and they said that they told me that they um, they would do this thing. For, they did this for for like a year or more. They had to text each other three movie ideas with just you know a couple of sentences. Okay, here's my movie idea. Here's my movie idea. Here's my movie idea. Three different ones. So they they would have to text each other. Three movies ideas a day each. Wow! So by the end of a year, they had hundreds of movie ideas, and I don't know if this, the host was one of them, but they were working that muscle. And then when the pandemic happened, they thought, "Well, what could we make during a pandemic that would be cool and would be COVID friendly?" Huh? Let's. And they wrote it in like three weeks, and then they started filming it, and yeah. they got all their friends. They got all their friends. They all played, yeah. They all played uh, themselves in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. They all right. they they so all it's, played it's themselves. Really real, doesn't it? And yeah. It does. Yeah. Anyway, I, I was funny. That was a great movie. A lot of people yeah. that goes back to the marketing thing have yet to hear of Host, and that's sad. So hopefully, really? yeah. Hopefully, everybody in our community has heard of it. Yeah. Every yeah. there's nobody in our community that hasn't, but I. But, you know, it's been on the best of lists in, you know, some New York magazines and also in some of the British magazines. I know when they talk about, you know, the, the well, now at the end of the year, this past month, people do their best of lists. Best so of, yeah. they're on a lot of best of lists. Yeah. Know? So hopefully the word will continue spreading. Anyway. It's, it's, yeah. yeah. Barbara. As we're saying, yeah. Yeah, the hour has just flown oh, by. It, it has. has really oh my God. flown by. I really by. enjoyed this. Thank yeah. you so much for being here with us. It was my Thank honor. You for asking me. It was my honor to talk to you. Do you have any final thoughts? Uh, final thoughts. Um, just 
stay safe. Exactly. And, you know, we're going to be out of this very soon. It's hard on all of us. I have my days and my moments where I'm really depressed and other days where I'm not. So I know the days when I'm depressed, I know I'm going to have a better day. So I just want to say to everybody to hang in there. It's going to be over soon and we'll all get to hug one another again. And I look forward to that. Excellent. Excellent message. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Uh, it's been an absolute treat. Barbara, thank you again. I will be with you guys again tomorrow. Until then, guys, on behalf of Barbara and myself, stay safe and stay walking. Good night.